Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the all the Gentiles, to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. You may be seated. Inside of the announcement sheet, you'll find uh, not only the uh, the order of worship on an insert, but you'll find a, an outline that you can use as we go through our study this morning. Uh, we are, as you know, with our dope classes and, and sermon series through the next uh, several weeks, uh, this quarter, going to be looking at the book of Romans. And uh, this morning in your Bible classes, you were beginning in about uh, about verse 8 and going to uh, uh, chapter chapter 3 and verse 20 or so. And uh, this morning, uh, since we got started with an overview last week, and we're not trying to, to overrun the Bible classes with the sermons and for there to be all of that much redundancy, we're actually just getting in, as uh, Shane has read for us this morning, into the first seven verses of the book and thinking about the promise. And you can use that outline as we go through it. Uh, before we pray, just a reminder, in case uh, uh, as a single you came in uh, and were unable to, to be at class or for some some reason not able to attend class this morning, just a reminder that over in the fellowship hall, immediately following our time together this morning in worship, there's going to be a fellowship luncheon, and you're invited, and even if you forgot about it and maybe forgot to bring some food, uh, as, as that class says, the more the merrier. And they would love for you to be a part of that, so please, please, please uh, join them for lunch immediately following our assembly this morning. Let's bow our heads and ask God to bless us as we we get ready to study His Word. Father, uh, as John has reminded us, memory is such an important thing. And it is such a wonderful thing for us to come together on the first day of the week and to encourage one another and to sing together, but also to remember and to have made more concrete and embedded in our deepest, most precious memories why we're here and what it took for us to be able to come together and to call each other brother and sister and to be able, Father, in great joy and in worship, Father, to call You our, our Father. We, we pray, Father, that that our memories never grow thin when it comes to thinking about the Gospel that You have blessed all of our lives with and how we're changed by it. And as we draw near to You, Father, and You to us, we pray that that, 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 that memory, that that, that knowledge deepen, that 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 memory not, not fade, Father, and become cliché for us, but that it become ever-living and become ever-hot in, in our souls. 
as we think of how You have poured Your love out on us in spite of the greatness of our pride and arrogance and hubris. We marvel at the mystery of this love. And we, we commit ourselves, Father, to the study of Your Word as people who have eyes and people who have ears to hear and to see. We pray, Father, to, to, to have those eyes cleansed and those ears unstopped in order to, to discern and to be moved by, by Your voice speaking to us. Thank You for, for Paul and for the church in Rome and for this letter that has been made available to us. We pray it all in the name of Jesus and with thankful hearts. Amen. Word Gospels, word you hear all the time. You hear me pray about it. You hear me talk about it all the time. What is the thing that you hear when you hear the word gospel? Well, for a lot of folk, it, it conjures up the idea of five fingers. You remember the five fingers. First, you have to hear, right? You hear what Christ has accomplished in the death, burial, and resurrection. Number two, you believe. You believe that the gospel is true with all of your heart. Number three, you repent. That is, you feel sorry for the things that you have done that are in rebellion against God. You confess, number four, that Jesus is Lord. And then number five, what is it? Be baptized. You participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, which we'll discuss later in Romans chapter 6. Now, friends, that's a great way, that's a, a really good way to help someone know how they are to respond in faith to God's offer of forgiveness and relationship through love. But here's the thing. If that is the only way that we think about the gospel, then we sell the gospel short. The gospel is more than just what happens on the day of your salvation. It's what happens to you for the rest of your life. Now, this contextualizes just a little bit in, in terms of, of the Bible. You remember that the book of Romans is written by whom? Is written by whom? Paul, right? Paul the Apostle. He was one of the most anti-Christian men, not just in his own time, but, but in all of history. He was willing to participate in the execution of Christians. An example of that from the beginning chapters of Acts is the stoning of Stephen. Not only that, that, but he was willing to track Christians in foreign countries and to put both men and women in prison. An example of that is in Acts chapter 9. In fact, he is so anti-Christian that Luke describes him in the very first verse of Acts chapter 9 this way. Saul was still breathing out, what kind of threats? Murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Breathing in, breathing out murder. Breathing in, breathing out murderous threats. Breathing in, breathing out murder against the Lord's disciples. Pretty strong language. Now think about the description just for a moment of breathing out. When you breathe as a human being, breathing in and breathing out is what you do continuously without stopping, sometimes without even reflecting on it and thinking about it, to maintain your life. It's what you do to keep your life going. And what Luke is saying of, of Saul at this time, before he changed his name to Paul, is that the thing that gave him existence, the thing that gave him identity, the thing that, that, that gave him significance was the removal of people who believed in the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And then you know how that story goes, right? One day on the road to Damascus, Saul, later become Paul, has an encounter with Jesus and the Gospel, and he is baptized 
but his life is changed for the rest of his life. In fact, some years later, as he's writing to the churches in the region of Galatia, at the very beginning of that letter, chapter 1, he says, beginning in verse 22, they only heard the report, he's talking about himself. He says, they only heard the report that the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the what, church? Faith. That he once tried to, say it with me, destroy. And they praise God because of me. But it all wasn't just sweetness and light for Paul. Now that he has, he has become a disciple of Jesus himself and is preaching the, the faith that he once tried to destroy, he has become a target and people are trying to kill him. Another way of saying it is that because of the gospel that has come into his life, the faith that Paul once tried to destroy, he is now willing to die proclaiming. That is a reversal of life direction. And the gospel did not impact a day in Paul's life, but it impacted every single day of his life. It impacted him the rest of his life and changed him forever and ever. Well, you may be thinking, well, that was then. He had had this personal encounter with Jesus. What about now? Up on the screen is a very special picture to me. First appeared in 2009 on the cover of Christianity Today, the magazine. The, the young man that is, that is riding the bike is a member of the Hutu uh, tribe. His name is Mark Sahabo. The, the young woman is a Tutsi who goes by the name of Felicita Mukabakunda. They are both from Rwanda. Not only are they from R Rwanda, but they grew up in the same village and they were neighbors of each other for a time, next door neighbors. But you'll remember in the middle part of the 1990s, in 1994, when Rwanda was going through its long, dark night and the genocide that Mark, as a Hutu, murdered 15 Tutsis by a machete, including Felicita's father and uncle. Felicita escaped. Mark fled to Tanzania where he was captured and, and put in prison in, until 2003. On two, in 2003, he went back to Rwanda. He began to attend a reconciliation workshop that was sponsored by Christians. And in the middle of that workshop, he himself became a Christian and, quote, he says, my heart was changed forever by Jesus. He went back to that tribe that village, found his Tutsi next-door neighbor by the name of Felicita, and he knelt down before her and begged for forgiveness. His heart had been changed by Jesus. But his heart was not the only one. She was also a Christian, and she gave it through a time gave her forgiveness to the man who had killed her father and uncle. And now they travel on bike, as you see in this picture, across Rwanda, telling their story of forgiveness and reconciliation. It's a powerful story. And whether it's Saul of Tarsus on the pages of Acts, or it's Mark and Felicita of Rwanda, when the gospel enters into a human life, extraordinary things happen. Can you say amen to that? And this is where Saul, who later became Paul, begins this letter to the church in Rome. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle 
and set apart for thee, say it with me, church, gospel of God. Let's say that again. Gospel of God. That's what Paul writes, the gospel of God. Now, one might think that that's a little odd, but it's really not. The gospel of God shows up a couple of times in the book of Romans, but one might think that the more natural way to, to say it might be the gospel of Christ, which is the way that it shows up predominantly, or the gospel of the kingdom. But what Paul is doing is at the beginning of this letter is something very, very important. He begins with a who and not with a what. He doesn't begin with what the gospel is. He begins with who, who began the gospel. Where does the gospel, from whom does it come from? Paul originates, the good news for Paul originates in God. It's in God's mind and it's in God's actions. This gospel that he is preaching has changed the lives of people in Rome and all over the world where he's been is not something that has has originated with well-meaning and well-intentioned human beings, that they have constructed it in their own might and in their own intelligence. The good news for Paul begins with God. The good news is God news. And that is where Paul begins this letter to the Romans, that God is doing something. That God is doing something in the world. For Paul, again, the good news begins not with the discovery of of whether or not there's a God, but that there is a God who is here and a God who is near and a God who is present and a God who is doing something in history. The letter to the Romans, for for a lot of us over the years, has just been crystallized down into some some very important doctrine. And I don't want to diminish that. The, the book is full of tremendous doctrine. It's a place where we learn so much about the doctrine of God. But more than just doctrine, it is also history. What Paul is saying is that God is doing something in history. That a promise that was made in the past is being fulfilled in the present And what it's doing to us internally is causing us to lean into God's future. Part of the Christian worldview is that the world that we live in is not devoid of God. That when we think about the events that are happening in the world and the things, not just in our own life, but are happening around the world or in the lives of our our family... As disciples of Jesus of Nazareth, we should never think that, that those events that are transpiring are devoid of God. And somehow spinning off into oblivion. But that God is interacting with His creation. Now how does He do that? He says that God is fulfilling a promise through Jesus. That's what God is doing. That He is fulfilling a promise through Jesus. We read beginning in verse 2. The Gospel He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding His Son, who as to His earthly life was a descendant of whom? David, right? And who through the Spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of, say it, God, in power by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now when you read the early church fathers and early church history, the early church fathers felt that they were detecting or discerning in these words, in verses 2, 3, and 4, a reference to the two natures of Jesus, that He was fully divine and that He was fully human. And I think that's true. I believe that with all of my life. Uh, in all of my heart, in, in everything about me, that Jesus was fully denied and fully human. I don't deny that at all. I believe it as part of central doctrine of who Jesus is. But I think more is going on here. This is a reference to the career, 
or to the mission of Jesus. Now again, think about what Paul writes here. He doesn't write that this was a gospel that was promised uh, or referred to the promises that were made in covenant to Abraham. Which when we really think about the covenant of the Old Testament, we think of either Moses or we think of Abraham. He doesn't say that. He talks about promises that were made through the prophets. That this is not the one to Abraham in the sense of Genesis chapter 12, through him, through Abraham, the nations would be blessed. Which is all true, but that's not what he is referring to. Paul refers to the promises that are made through the prophets. That are made through the prophets. In the Old Testament, last year, you'll remember what we did with those Old Testament prophets as we preached through every one of those books. In the Old Testament, those prophets spoke of a world that was fallen. They picked up on that theme of Genesis chapter 3, that because of the fall of, of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, that the world is now fallen, that it's cursed, that it's full of thistles and, and thorns. But they didn't stop there. The Old Testament prophets also spoke of the failure of God's chosen people to be the instrument by which light would go streaming into the world again. That by Israel, His people, He would turn the world around and back to Him once again. Instead of being God's communicators of His love and of His grace, the people of God were consumed by the evil themselves. And the prophets that Paul is referring to here, the prophets began to point to God Himself radically and personally intervening to change that evil Himself. And beginning with the way that our Bible has those prophets listed together, Isaiah, all of a sudden we begin to remember how, how Isaiah spoke of, of, of God's special servant coming into the world. And the prophets looked to the coming of Jesus and what He would achieve. And so, going back to Romans chapter 1, the first is a reference to Jesus being a descendant, to being a, a son of, of David in the original language, of, of His seed, communicates His identity. Question, what were the sons of King David? Answer, kings. They were kings. And this would have meant something very powerful to the people in, in Rome. They know about kings. They know about Caesars. And they know what they do. They know how they wage war and how they would wage war. And Paul is saying that Christ is a king. But then he says, as a second reference, he, he refers to Jesus' resurrection. And that identifies his mission, what it is that Jesus has achieved. Jesus is the king who conquered the ultimate and final enemy. Jesus is the king who defeated Death. Jesus has won the final battle. Which means that Jesus met death and did not just bounce back and regroup in order to attack again. But what Jesus did in the resurrection was to meet death and to go through death to the other side to eternal life. And that's where He leads all of His people in their future. That's the future that we lean into. But the important thing to recognize is that Jesus is different from the kings of the world. Jesus is not the king who sends His people into battle to die in order for the king to live. Jesus is the king who goes into battle to die in order for His people to live. And that's why in verse 5 He says, we received grace through Him. The king, Jesus, offers His victory over death and offers His life the life that He now lives to all people through the Gospel. 
Now, not to get ahead of ourselves, but in Romans chapter 6, verse 9, we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. And that's the life He shares with us. And the message of the Gospel is not that you can be saved. That's what every religion in the world teaches, that you can be saved. What the Gospel of Jesus, what the Gospel of God teaches is that you are saved by grace. Which means that God is calling all people back to Him. The word call appears a lot at the beginning of Romans in in chapter 1, verse 1, called to be an apostle. Verse 5, called the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And verse 6, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Verse 7, called to be His holy people. Later in chapter 8, He's going to refer to people as the chosen. And all of this calling and all of this choosing has created some pretty sticky debates through the centuries. And we're going to talk about that later on. But here's sort of what I think in a nutshell. When I was growing up, I uh, grew up in, a, in a, a neighborhood that had a ton of kids. Lots of kids. Never had a problem finding somebody to, to play with, finding somebody to play baseball with uh, or football. And, and growing up in that neighborhood, we played a lot of street football. And quite frankly, the reason I look the way I do is that playing tackle football in the street has its consequences. But dozens of kids would show up. They heard about the game. They wanted to play. It was after school. We all showed up in the street. The captains were were chosen, and the captains alternated calling kids to be on their team. And if you responded to the call of the captain and stepped behind him, you were picked. Or in other words, you were chosen at that point. And one time a kid who was called didn't want to go on that team, didn't want to play with that team, and he was not picked. And because he did not play, was not chosen but ended up going home mad and not playing. But those who responded to the call and were chosen got to play. Now the call of God is not only to become the beloved and blessed of God, but also for God's Lordship to be reestablished in your life. At the very beginning of this letter, Paul makes it clear that he is not merely in a relationship with Christ, but he is under the authority of Christ. Paul is not free to do as he pleases. That he is not just saved, but that he is now under the Lordship of Jesus. In verse 1, at the very beginning of the letter, in identifying himself, he says, I am what? A servant of Christ Jesus. To respond to the call of God and the impact of God's gift is to become a responsible human being in the way that God always intended human beings to live in His creation. To to respond to the call and to the impact of God's gospel and God's gift of grace and adoption as sons is to become a responsible human uh, being. And when you think about Paul, Paul's identity is completely changed. He is no longer at odds with God, but he is at peace with God in verse 7. He is no longer an enemy to God, but beloved by God, like all of the other disciples in Rome. And he is no longer the little God in charge of his life, but a servant 
every day of his life to Christ Jesus. The forgiven becomes a forgiver. And the human being, beloved of God, becomes a lover of other people's souls. The one served by Christ at the cross becomes a servant to all. The one who is alienated by sin becomes not just adopted, but a partner in the mission of God in Christ Jesus to share that message and to share that call with every human being under the sun. The thief doesn't just stop stealing, but works in order to have something to share. The people that were once prideful in the achievements and, and, and the things that they had garnered and, and the acclaim that they had gathered to themselves find all of that stuff, as Paul would say in another letter, as rubbish in light of the cross of Jesus. And now, in light of everyone else, has the mind of Christ and serves and counts other people's uh, uh, lives more, more important than his own. Gossip doesn't just stop tearing people down but becomes a communicator of God's love. And that's why Paul in chapter 1, verse 16 says he is unashamed of the gospel. Because it's power. It's God's power to take a fallen, sinful, radically opposed to the will of God human being and from the inside out turn them into the kind of responsible human being, Christ-likeness, Gospel changed at the core of their being into the kind of person that God always deemed them to be from the very beginning of time. You see, friends, the gospel is not just for the first day of our life with Christ, but for every day after that. And when we begin to pick up on that and to revel in that fact and and to understand that fact and find joy in that fact, then all of a sudden we see that the possibility of some incredibly extraordinary things happening in our life. We all remember the tragedy that struck the Amish community of Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, when a gunman walked into a schoolhouse, murdered five young Amish girls, and wounded several others before turning the weapon on himself, taking his own life. Just a huge shock. Just seemed... It just seemed like we were seeing on the news the worst that human beings could become. But that shock that we were watching on the television as we we heard and saw the scenes of those parents grieving over their children was not the only shock that would come to us. The other shock was the Amish community forgiving the killer and reaching out in compassion to his widow. Uh, back in February, our brother Eric Richter brought to my attention a new book entitled Amish Grace, where in an interview with one of the co-authors of the book, he says that forgiveness in that community that was extended to the murderer was only obeying what Jesus taught in the model prayer, forgive us of our debts as we have forgiven our what debtors. And then he said something that, uh, that caught my eye, and I've not been able to shake it. He says, it's part of their DNA. When you think about, about DNA, human DNA, you think about all of the things that, that make you who you are. 
but on the day of your new birth. And the, days that you, and, and the day that you came up out of that water as a new creature in Christ, your DNA was changed to a gospel DNA. That you see the world, whether poor or rich, whether highly educated or barely educated at all, whether in some ways behaviorally very moral or very immoral, because of that new DNA, that gospel, that Christ-like DNA that has been brought into the very core of your being, you begin to see the entire world, the city, every person in this church family. You even begin to see the world in a completely different lens. And that's when some of the most extraordinary things in life begin to happen in your ministry. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. And we're going to celebrate the greatness of God in song. One of the great things about singing is that, you know, people that sing together are drawn together. And one of the things that we do when we sing is that we're, we're surrounded by people of like faith, differing and varying degrees of maturity in that faith, but surrounded by people of faith or people who are trying to decide what it means to be a disciple of Jesus or what it means to, to be a Christian. And when we sing about the greatness of God, it draws us together, not because we necessarily have beautiful voices, but because of the meaning of those verses. That God is great. And that greatness has come into our life through His love and His compassion and His mercy. The forgiveness that came into my life is great. I'm so glad that that God has given me somewhat of a short memory that I no longer remember, and I remember a lot of them, but I, know I don't remember all of the things that separated me from God in, in, in that life before Jesus. But what stands in front of me every day is the cross of Jesus. And I remember the greatness of God in forgiving somebody like me. That's why grace is amazing, quite frankly. And I remember the grace that came into your lives as you made the confession that Jesus is Lord. And I don't want to be my my own God anymore. I want to take my hands off the handle of that steering wheel, the management of the affairs of my life, and turn that over to God Himself, who loves me and has given His Son in order to adopt me into His kingdom. And that I might not just live forever, but begin living forever on this day. We're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front. And if in any way we can minister to you to help you connect to God through the gospel of, of Jesus' His Son, the thing that He originated, the thing that he, that he is doing in the world today, then come down as we praise God together and talk to these shepherds. Let's stand and praise God. The splendor of a King Clothed in majesty Let all the earth rejoice